Again, 2021. This year, I want you to understand that God is the one that increases. God is the one that gives us the increase. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one that gave increase. So the key here is, if you, for you to understand that the source of increase is God. But that does not diminish my responsibility where I have to work. What can God increase if I don't do something? See, I planted, Apollos watered. Now on that, the blessing came. The blessing comes upon what we do for it to cause increase to manifest. Say amen. In the year of famine, Isaac sowed. He didn't keep quiet. He didn't sit still. He kept working. It is important for every person to understand. God placed man on earth to work. Not to waste time. Not to occupy space. He put him in the garden and he said, Ten, look after it. That was not a job. It was a work. Everyone that is alive on this planet has got work that we need to do for God's glory. So according to the word, he stayed back and he planted seed. And remember, it was not easy because the, the land or the ground is dry. There is no sign of rain, no moisture in the land. And yet he went about plowing the land. Because before you sow seed, you got to plow. So everybody watching him would have, gone, would have said, this guy is crazy. I mean, we are in famine and he's trying to plow his fields. But he didn't care what others thought. He went about doing what he's supposed to do. He kept working. See, every one of us needs to understand, we need to give God something to work on so that increase may show up. Hallelujah. If I don't work on something, what can God increase? So when he sowed and he planted in that ear, in the same ear, the Bible says, what happened? In the same ear, he had a hundredfold harvest. And he, and he began to grow more and more. Watch this. The Bible in the Amplified Version says, The favor of God showed up upon him, and the blessing manifested. Praise be to God. So, make sure you are in alignment with God, in agreement with God, and doing what God has called you to do so that his favor will show up and increase will manifest. Somebody say amen. amen. It's not what I decide to do and I do ungodly stuff and I cheat people and I do, you know, things that are displeasing to God and just because I come to church and so return my tithe, God is obligated to bless me. You're a fool to think like that. You don't understand the heart of God. You don't understand the word of God. God doesn't break his word to bless you just because you're giving him some money. God cannot be bought with money. Don't try to bribe God. You may probably be able to bribe people, but you can't bribe God. You have to learn to comply with him. See, the, the, the source of blessing is God. The source of prosperity is God. The Lord was with Joseph and he, pros he was a what? Prosperous man. 
the Lord. So the point I'm trying to make is we have to focus more on our relationship with God than upon increase. Increase is not your job. It's his job. My job is to remain in righteousness, remain in right relationship with God and work what God has called me to work on and let him show his favor upon me. Come on now. Amen. So child of God, listen to me. I don't know if you are involved in something that is not right. You have a guilty conscience or you're doing something that displeases God. You know it's not right. Stop it because God cannot bless you. And I don't care. You might be saying this is my year of increase from morning to evening through the night. It is not going to manifest. Okay. Because God that is and even if it does, it's not from God. We make sure that the blessing is of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Hallelujah. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Glory be to God. Amen. So focus on your relationship. Focus on developing an intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Being led by him. Staying always in right alignment with God. Say amen. All right. Now. Let's go to the book of Psalms, chapter 115, and I'm going to read from verse 12. And the Lord had been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children, and you are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Look at this. The Lord had been mindful of us. You are on his mind. I said you are on God's mind. And he says he will increase you what? More and more. God has not forgotten you. You are very precious in the eyes of the Lord. He loves you and he wants to increase you. He wants to increase you more and more. But many times our experiences can sometimes talk us out of believing this word. Because we might have had a bad experience or something that is not in, uh, in line with what, you, what I'm sharing with. And so circumstances and experiences in life can try to convince us that God doesn't love us and God has forgotten us. But we got to go by what God said, not by my experiences. Say amen. So he says, he's mindful of us. And look at what Isaiah chapter 49 verse 16 says. Behold, I've graven thee upon the palm of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. They're continually before me. God, you're not out of God's sight. Say amen. amen. God's eyes are watching you. He is mindful of you. And he says, I have graven thee on the palms of my hand. You know, he, you, you, he created you. He's a master craftsman and he has a great plan for you. Look at Isaiah, sorry, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, said the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. I want to read it from the message translation, which gives you a better understanding. I know what I'm doing. This is what God is saying. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Hallelujah. See, your destiny is to be discovered by you, not determined by you. God has already planned it out. 
Now it's my job and my responsibility to discover my destiny and walk in the path that God has already planned out for me. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Plans to give you a future, uh, to give you the future you hope for. Amen. Amen. Another translation reads like this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you future and a hope. I'm telling you, our God loves us. Your experiences may be otherwise. And they may be shouting aloud and saying, no, God doesn't love you. Say, shut up, experiences. I don't validate scripture through my experiences. My experiences have to line up with what God says. And by my faith in the word, everything around me and in me will change. Say amen. Amen. Glory be to God. See, God's will is for us to prosper in every way, in every area of our life. Beloved, above all, I wish that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Now, studying this subject, we have come to the place where I've been sharing with you about the importance of repentance and believing. Because that is how Jesus started preaching. We got to repent, which means not only feel sorry for it, but to turn away from it and go on a new path because we believe in this new path. We believe in the kingdom of God. We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We believe in his blood. We have forgiveness and remission of our sins. So now we turn away from the sinful life. We believe in this gospel. And so we are now saved. Say amen. So what I've been em emphasizing now is this. When we talk about repentance, it's not just something that you do just in the mind. It should impact your mind. It should impact your emotion. It should impact your attitude. And there must be evidence of this to the world. Where is the change? If you say you're born again, show me the change. That's what John the Baptist was saying. Give me proof of your repentance. So we talked about the prodigal, not the prodigal. Was it the prodigal son? Yeah. We talked about the prodigal son last time. And I said, he came to a place of realization that he was starving to death. While the servants in his father's home were having, a, 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 you know, abundance. They were enjoying luxurious abundance. And so he said, I better go and ask my father to forgive me and at least receive me back as a servant. So then the Bible says, he rose and went. That's the key. See, it's not enough just to mentally think about it. There needs to be some action. And when the action is there, see, the father ran to him when the son came to him. So when there is evidence, whenever I say I have repented, there has to be evidence of that repentance. And repentance does not start without realization you got to realize that where you are now and what's happening is not right and you want a change in this i want to take you to an old testament story and highlight some things from there that will give you a better understanding of this because and then i'm going to deal with something probably next week we won't have enough time but I'm, and then i'm going to take you further on that but let's go to the book of um, hang on 
um, his, 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Now this, we're going to talk about Hezekiah, but before we read about Hezekiah, we're going to read about his father Ahaz. 2 Chronicles chapter 28, and we're going to read quite a bit over here this morning, so bear with me. 28 chapter, chapter 28 verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. And watch this. Unlike David his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So he did not walk in the ways of God. Now remember, he is the seed of David. He is a covenant child. He is in covenant with God. But he turned his back on the Lord. He did not do that which is pleasing to God. And he expected God to bless him. All right, let's go on. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and made idols for worshiping Baals. He was an idol worshiper. He compromised his faith. He walked away from the true God and began to bow down and worship idols and false gods. Verse 3. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and made idols for the worship of Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire. Sacrifice what? Say it louder. Children. What is abortion? I leave it there. It's murder. No Christian should ever even entertain the idea of abortion. You are killing a life. Sacrifice his children in the fire, engaging in detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Why did God drive out the Canaanites and give them this land? Because there was filth, because there was uh, human sacrifice, because they had polluted the land. God gave them the, 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 God gave them the strength to go and wipe out these giants that were filled in that place and take it over to purify the land. But now this king was reinstating all that evil, all those evil practices. He offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the high places on the hilltops under every spreading tree. He did everything that is abhorrent to the heart of God. Everything that God loathed, yet called himself what? A Jew. So many Christians today live like that. They will compromise their faith. They will compromise and give in and try to fit in with the culture. We've got to be careful, child of God. I know we all come from different cultures and the, and the culture in different places is different. And many of our cultures are are uh, infiltrated and many of our cultures are influenced by, by heathen religious practices. We got to be careful. That's why I tell people, when you're getting involved in anything in, the, in, your, in your celebrations or whatever, make sure that you're not getting involved in stuff that has got some kind of an indication or link with some practice that is from the so-called culture, but that culture is influenced by another religious belief. And these things often happen in marriages. Many Christians follow many Hindu ritualistic practices in Christian marriages. We're compromising. We use the name of Jesus 
and we do that stuff. That's not right. You are bringing back that which God hates. That's why we need to, see, I'm not saying a particular culture is better than the other. The only culture we have to follow is the culture of the Word of God. It's not the Western culture, it's not the Eastern culture, it's not any other culture, but the Word, the, the culture that does not go against the Word of God. We, 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 uh, we align ourselves and we follow the instructions of God and when I'm doing something, my heart, uh, there, my, my conscience should be clean. Come on, amen? I mean, I heard of somebody that in one of the churches, after the wedding, they even took them. This isn't a church. They took them, the husband and wife, seven steps. Come on, I know you're laughing, but this is happening in a well-known denominational church right in this city. Seven steps. What, 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 the, what the heck is seven steps, man? Oh, seven is a number that God loves. Oh, you want to color that now? Do you understand there's a significance to that in the other religious practices? Yes. Cut out. Amen. Be ye separate, said the Lord. Come out of the world, said God. Yes. We cannot get involved in any stuff that is not according to God's will or God's purpose or God's word. And every time we get involved in anything like that, you've got to understand, you've got to check out if there's any significant spiritual attachment to that practice from the other religions. That's why in our church, we refuse to marry people that say we want tali. We say we will only do it if you agree with rings. Is it because it's a Western culture? No. Because we believe a ring is a token of uh, significance, a token of reminder, that's all. It reminds you that you're married. It's like God put, even God wanted a reminder. That's why it was a rainbow. He said, that's a reminder of my covenant. So when I'm married, I made a covenant with a woman of my life. And, I, and I, this ring reminds me, hey, you're in covenant. Get your eyes off. That which is not right. Are you with me? Come on. So we're not saying one is better than the other. The only thing I want to be careful of is that whatever I'm involved in, I don't want it to be connected with any of so-called color, you know, so-called culture, but that is influenced by a practice in the other religions. I am now married to Christ. I am married to Christ and you are married to Christ and we cannot be involved in stuff that is abhorrent to God. Say Amen. amen. So be careful. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to say it. I may, maybe you don't like it, but I'm going to say it. They, they use turmeric to touch all the four corners of the wedding invitation. They color it. Where do you see that in the Bible? Huh? What significance? No, it's just, just turmeric. Yeah. But do you realize there is some significance to it in the other religion? And without you knowing, in ignorance and foolishness you're doing, but you're opening a door. Because there is a significance to it. You're opening a door for the enemy to come against you. So consciously, we have to make sure we're not involved in any of such practices. Because that 
create, see, God bless this marriage, but I will do all things that displease you in this marriage. Because in the name of Jesus, that's how you finish it off. And you think everything is covered. You must be a fool to think like that. I can't walk against the will of God and say, in the name of Jesus, bless me Lord, and believe that He's going to bless me. He cannot bless me. Now all this while you may not have known it, but today you know it now. So check, especially in these ceremonies, what are you doing? And whether, not whether it is good, check whether it is God. Not everything good is God. Okay? So check whether it is God, not whether it is good. Say Amen. Alright, let's carry on. So he did all this. So as a result of that, what happened? Look what God did to this guy. He is his David, his favored child, David. His grandson, okay? And the result is, therefore the Lord is God delivered him into the hands of the kings of Aram. And the Aramanians defeated him and took many of his people as prisoners and brought them to Damascus. He was also given to the hands of kings of Israel who inflicted heavy casualties on him. Can you see how he was being punished? Because the door was open. He opened the door and invited the enemy to harass him. God doesn't have to punish you. God is a God of love. But when you disobey him, you open the door for the enemy to come and attack. And God will become a spectator because you have chosen to be afflicted. Are you with me? All right, verse 19. And the Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had promoted his promoted wickedness. He promoted what? Wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. My friend, please don't get involved in anything that is ungodly or anything that's against the word. Don't partake of their food that is offered to idols. Can I be clear? Do not get involved in eating just because of peer pressure. Just because your boss will not like you or may not, you may not be favored by him. Do you want the favor of God or the favor of your boss? Because your boss will move, your boss will change, your boss will die, but God will not. So I need the favor of my favor of my boss who is above not the boss on the earth say amen. amen so please don't partake of those if the bosses require you to do stuff which is against the word of God against the will of God against you know the the, the practices we believe in are pleasing to God just keep away from them if you have to lose the job lose it your soul is more precious than your job what is the value if you gain the whole world and lose your soul said God so don't compromise your values. Don't compromise your ethics. Don't compromise your faith. Don't be involved in stuff that is displeasing to God. Here, when we talk about repent, yes Lord, I repented. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. Then you walk away, walk back into the office. You take part in all the food that is offered to idols. You also bow down to idols. You do stuff just to please your, uh, your boss. And you also one time, once or twice sip some things you don't, you're not supposed to sip. And God, I've repented. Show me the proof of repentance. Where is the change? You are behaving like anybody and everybody else there in the office. That's not repentance. I know I'm talking to somebody here this morning that is living a compromised life. 
And that's why the increase will never show up in your life. God's favor will never manifest in your life because you're living a compromised life. Are you with me, everybody? Say, I mean, I'm not angry with you. I love you. That's why I'm trying to share with you with a concern that you need to say, I'm going to stop it today. I'm repenting. I'm turning away from all this. Okay. Now he says in verse 22, in, in his time of trouble, when he was troubled, Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him for he thought since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped them I will sacrifice to them so they will help me. But they were his downfall and the downfall of all Israel. Verse 24. Ahaz gathered together the furnishings of the temple of God and cut them in pieces. I mean this guy was going from bad to worse man. Turning away his back he became more and more of a devil. And cut the, uh, them into pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple. And he shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. Every town in Judah, he built high places to burn sacrifices to other gods and aroused, watch this, aroused the anger of the Lord and God, the Lord, aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. Because of this man, Judah lost its glory. There was loss of life, there was loss of property, lack, fear, defeat was their portion. But praise God, praise God, his son came into office. His son's name was what? Hezekiah. And he, the first thing he does, he takes responsibility. Stop blaming others for your plight in life. Take responsibility. Don't blame and anyone but recognize the problem and and you know and set yourself to rectify it. that is called true repentance <clears throat> stop blaming other people stop blaming your wife stop blaming your husband stop blaming your in-laws stop blaming the government Ta start taking responsibility and move with genuine repentance and faith in the Lord now chapter 29 verse 1 Glory to God. Hezekiah was a young man, 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. You wonder why Hezekiah was so diametrically opposed to his dad? I believe the influence was his mother. Because she was Zechariah's daughter. Zechariah was a priest. So she was a godly woman. She made sure that the son was not influenced by his father's ungodly behavior. She made sure that he was protected and he was taught the things of God. To honor God, to respect God, to love God and to remain faithful like his granddad David. I'm sure his mother told him stories about David and about Abraham, about Moses, about Joshua. And built his faith that when he came into power he said enough is enough. Enough of unfaithfulness in this kingdom. I take responsibility. I'm going to do something about it. So let's see what happens. He did, watch this verse 2. He did which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Just as his father David had done. So totally different to his father. In the first month of the first year in his reign. You're in the first month of this year called the year of 
increase. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Glory be to God. The first thing he did was to start aligning his spiritual life of the nation of Israel. His father shut the doors of the temple. His father dictated that worship should be given to devils, false gods under every green tree and every hilltop. And this king comes and says, that is what is wrong. I realize, I repent of it. And I'm going to make a change. The change is evident. Repentance, when repentance comes into play, the change is evident. Hallelujah. Say amen. All right. The first thing he does in the kingdom is opens the doors of the king of the temple, gets that repaired, and he brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves and consecrate the temple of the Lord and the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Consecrate means what? Set yourself apart. Now we got to get back to the place where God is honored in this land. Where God is worshipped. There is continuous praise. There's continuous prayers. There are continuous sacrifices. We got to set everything right. My dad took every, all this, this entire nation away from God. But I'm coming back. I've come now to bring the entire nation back to God. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. That is repentance. All right. Our parents, look what he says. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offering at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. Therefore, he says, I, you know why we are suffering? It's because we have neglected God. We have turned our back on God. We have stopped worship. We have stopped honoring God. So what we're going to do is he says, this is the reason why God is angry. Therefore the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and, and why our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Can you see the, the reason for our plight, the reason for our defeat, the reason for lack, the reason for heartache, the reason why our sons and daughters have fallen to the sword and they're in captivity is because we have turned our back on the Lord. So now he says in verse 10, this is very important. He says, now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord. Glory be to God. He says, I'm turning away from all that. I'm turning back to God. I'm going to renew my covenant with God child of God. This is the first month of the new year. Renew your covenant with God. Renew your covenant with God. If there are areas where you have compromised, if there are areas that are displeasing to God in your life, turn away from them and say, Lord, I intend to make a new covenant, a covenant with you. Reestablish my covenant, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger may turn away. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and serve him, to minister before him and to burn incense. Because he did what he said, and we don't have time to go through it. It's very interesting. Read all those chapters. But I want to read a few more verses from chapter 31 now. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were, who, uh, who were there went out to the towns of Judah and look what happened. Smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles, they destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh. 
That's called what? Change. That's called what? Evidence. That's called what? Proof of repentance. Remember what I read for you from the book of Acts? That when they heard the word and they all turned to the Lord, they brought material which was used for occult practices and burnt everything in the town square which was worth 50 million dollars. That's called change. That's called repentance. That's called evidence of repentance. Church, today many people claim to repent but there's no evidence of repentance. That's why the church is so weak. That's why we lack power. That's why we're not seeing the power of God as we should see the power of God. That's why we're not as powerful as the, as the church of the book of Acts. Because when they repented, they repented. And there was evidence of their repentance. They gave up. They turned away. They, they showed to the world, yes, we have repented. And for that, sometimes they had to pay with their life. That's genuine repentance. Today, the church is so tuned in to come to the Lord. Why? Because, because if I come to Jesus and if I sow money, I will get blessed. You don't want to change on the inside. You want to keep doing what you were doing. There is no real repentance. You want to say, I believe in Jesus. You've added Jesus to your belief system. But there is no change. There is no repentance. As a result of that, there is, no, there is what? Confusion. There's no, and you might see increase, but there is no joy. There is no fulfillment. There is no satisfaction. Why? Because there is no genuine repentance. That's why everything starts with repentance. You know, today we hear messages. Most messages are, come to Jesus. How many people really talk about repentance? Tell me. How often do you hear people talking about repentance? It's not often. But it starts with repentance. It's not adding Jesus to where you are and what you're doing right now. You have to turn away from something and receive Christ. You have to turn away from your sinful acts, sinful practices, sinful mindset, sinful attitudes, and the evidence must be there to say, yes, I've truly repented. Now my lifestyle is entirely different. My attitudes are different. My belief systems are different. My practices are different. My life is different. That is genuine change. Say amen. That's what we're seeing in the life of, we saw in the life of the prodigal son, now we're seeing it in the life of Hezekiah. Okay? So they went and they broke down every altar that the father had set up. Much money was lost. Imagine how much money they would spend on building altars all over the land of Judah and Ephraim and Manasseh under every green tree and every hilltop. They went and smashed everything down. Okay? And then it says, after they had destroyed all of that, Israel's returned to their own towns and their own property. Verse 2, Hezekiah assigned the priests and Levites to divisions and each of them according to their duties as priests of Levites to burn, to offer burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, to minister, to give thanks, to sing praises at the gates of the Lord's dwelling. So he now instituted worship and sacrifice and offering. He's bringing in a system. Glory be to God. Amen. And then the king contributed from his own possessions. The king contributed from his own possessions for the morning and evening burnt offerings and for the burnt offerings on the Sabbaths at the new moons and the appointed festivals as written in the law of the Lord. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give portion due to the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, 
the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the fields produced, the fields produced, they brought a great amount, a, a tithe of everything. Wow. Sowing has started. Giving to the Lord started. Giving to the things of the temple started. Giving to the Levites started. And so the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought the tithe of their herds, the flock, and the, and, of the, uh, and the tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God. And they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month and finished in the seventh month. Wow. It, it, it took them four months to bring all the offerings to the Lord. And they began to do what? Tithe. The entire nation began to tithe. Praise be to God. Amen. Because why? Because of one man. Hezekiah. He truly repented and believed in the word of God. And instituted actions that please God. Now. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps. They praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. They saw heaps of offerings. Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites about the heaps and Azariah the chief priest from the family of Zadok answered since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord we have had enough to eat plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed his people and his great in this great amount is left over praise there was no more lack there was abundance the people that were depleted the people that lost everything, the people that were oppressed, the people that were beaten down by other kings. Now when Hezekiah took the reins, he repented and turned to the Lord. And what happened? Prosperity showed up. Success showed up. He became so wealthy that the news went to Babylon. And the king of Babylon sent envoys to come and check on this man. Because he became so successful. My friend, increase showed up in Hezekiah's life. Why? Because it started with his repentance and faith in God. Church, I don't know what you have to repent of. I know you repented and said, Lord, please forgive me. I believe in you. I receive you. You might have prayed that prayer. But there may be other areas. He not only opened the temple doors and instituted worship. He said, now, okay, that's the beginning. But you know what? Anything that is displeasing to God in this land has to be put to fire. So he said, go in all the land that I am in authority, break down every altar of every false god. Are there any altars in your heart? Are there some things that are close to your heart that are displeasing to God? Are there things that you venerate and you, you honor, but at the same time you know that's displeasing to God? Genuine repentance is when you turn away from that, give up all that, and ask the Lord to bless you. Now you turn away from all that. You know, in all this, I'm, I'm trying to make a point here. It starts with the mind, works through your heart, and is exhibited through action. Repentance starts in the mind, moves into action, that produces a result which is a change. The guy said, I have to go to my dad. It started with thinking. So repentance is change the way you think first. The thought has to become an action. When the thought turns into an action, the change on the outside is inevitable. So tackle it from inside. 
And we're going to talk about this next week. How the thinking affects you. So I laid a foundation up till now. Talking to you about the importance of repentance and believing. Because that's how Jesus started preaching the kingdom. Are you with me everybody? Are you getting the message? So it's not enough just to take notes. Take notes. Do something with it in your life. Something has to change. Nothing will change unless I change. Nothing will change until I change. If you say, I am serious about success, I've been telling you, routine is the secret to your success. Do you have a routine? You have lived an indisciplined life. Discipline is needed for success. It's not just agreeing with me saying, yes, pastor, I believe that. No, show me in action. Start with the thought, put the thought into action, and let it be evident in change in your life. Come on, amen? So start putting a routine to, in place for you. Do these five things, seven things, nine things every day consistently and over a period of time you're going to see what, God, what God's going to do with your life and what's going to manifest in your life. Do not neglect. It all starts with me, with you. Not with the devil, but with you. Don't blame the devil. The devil has been defeated by Jesus Christ. Amen? So I believe you were blessed this morning. Are you blessed? Were you encouraged? Were you challenged? Well, bless the